0: Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, we have the privilege of sharing part two of our conversation with Coach Mike Furry. His journey and his stories are just incredible always the overachiever from walking on to play football at a high state to then having an eight-year career in the NFL with the St. Louis Rams, Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, and the former Washington Redskins.
1: Oh, I loved his stories of persevering and then what it was like when he made the roster of the NFL team for the very first time. Oh, but then, Kevin, how about when his wife informed him that he got cut by the Rams?
0: Right. See, that's stuff you don't think about. You don't get to see as fans of professional athletes. And in part two of our conversation, conversation coach gets warmed up and he just keeps rattling off story after story and we loved every second of it
1: friends can't wait for you to hear part 2 of our conversation with coach Mike hurry i'm kevin and i'm stephanie and
0: during our marriage we have dealt with an electrocution a brain tumor brain surgery
1: then doctors telling us that children were not in our future
0: All right, Steph, before we get into part two of this conversation, I noticed a lot of names that were thrown out and maybe some football jargon as well that was said. So Mm -hmm. let me go through a couple things just to give people context. Perfect. First off, do you know what an OTA is? He mentioned this multiple times in the second part of this conversation, OTAs. No. OTA stands for organized team activities.
1: Mm. Okay. So
0: on NFL teams, they're allowed to have, I think, 10... Off-season practices before training camp starts. So when he says OTAs, just think of these are the summer workouts, summer practices that NFL teams are allowed to have. Okay. Okay. Second thing, he mentions the name Kurt Warner multiple times here. Yes. Who's Kurt Warner?
1: Yes. Kurt Warner is this amazing football player that our good buddy, Andy Irwin, who we now <laughs> know, made a movie about called American Underdog.
0: Yes. So, Kurt Warner is one of the most Cinderella-related stories in NFL history, okay? He was undrafted coming out of college. His first season was Super Bowl MVP. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame now. He is responsible for helping get Mike Furry into the NFL. So, that is who Kurt Warner is. And you're right. His real-life story is so incredible that the Irwin brothers did make a movie.
1: And you guys need to watch it because it's so good. It is
0: very good. So... Listeners, we will pause this, I think, multiple times here as we go through it, when names are dropped, just to give you context, because Mike has worked with and played with just some incredible people. So here's the beginning of part two of our conversation with Mike Furry. All right. So can you share the story of Kurt Warner and how he connected you to the St. Louis Rams? That's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's... uh... So I gave you a little rundown of just kind of how the, all this came to fruition. What people don't really realize is Kurt Warner obviously gave me a, a door, opened a door for me for the St. Louis Rams. But my wife, Corinne, is is really the reason why we're here doing what we're doing. And People don't really realize that whole story. But long story short, I left the XFL and I went home back to Columbus, Ohio. Remember, you know, Tartan Fields?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. In Dublin.
2: So. I have a buddy of mine that was building a bunch of homes in tartan fields and I became, I'm a carpenter by trade. So that's kind of what I do. And so I was building homes in tartan fields and I got a phone call from a fella from the New York Dragons. And so I get on the phone with him and he says, Hey, we'd like for you to come out for the last couple of weeks of the season. You're not going to play, but we like to play you and have your rights. We're from the Iowa Barnstormers, but we just moved to New York and we have, we're in like our 10th week of the season. And so We'll pay you for the last three weeks. We'll have your rights and then you can go back home and then you can come back next spring to play. So when I was at Northern Iowa playing, remember I told you I didn't go anywhere with any of my buddies right? that I was there. And every weekend it seemed like they were always going down to Des Moines or whatnot to watch this indoor Iowa Barnstormers play. Because there was a guy near named Kurt Warner and he was you know, tearing it up and he's from Northern Iowa. And, and I was like, listen, let me tell you something. Never in my entire life will I go down to Des Moines, Iowa, number one, farm town. And number two, I'm not ever going to see a football game inside of some arena. And uh, well, fast forward, I'm standing on the roof at Tartan Fields building a house. And I was on the, we were on the roof and um, I answered the phone and they say, it's, you know, this is Rory from the New York Dragons. You know, we'd like for you, you to come out. And I was sitting there thinking like, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, uh, so Mike, do you drop the nail gun while you're on the roof? And it's just like, all I'm right, out. later guys. Yeah, and you just I'm leave out. the drop
2: site right then yeah I'm out I just told him <laughs> I'm leaving tomorrow and I'm heading to New York so I got in my car and I drove to New York and uh I ended up signing and I was with him for like three weeks and we practiced inside the uh, Coliseum out there in Long Island and I fell in love with the game like it was awesome I loved it I played both ways I played DB and I played wide out and I was kind of like an Iron Man type guy they called it at the time and and I never left the field and you made like 35 to $40,000 for like four months. And then you could go home and coach high school ball in the fall. Like it was a cool job. Yeah. So I went out to New York and was there for three weeks. And like I, like I mentioned, I wasn't, they told me I wasn't going to play. They were trying to make the playoffs. And, but I went out there and I just had the time of my life. So, you know, I went home after those three weeks and I went back to building houses and doing all those kind of things. And I was working for my dad at his credit union. And I was on a mission. I was going to go back and be like the greatest arena player to like ever play. That was kind of my mission. That was my jump, my goal. So I went back in 2002 and uh, ended up becoming like the Iron Man of arena. And we tore it up, and it was awesome. It was outstanding. I mean, it was so much fun. Like I was catching like six touchdowns a game. And oh my gosh! Playing DB, and you're playing in like. Staples center and you're playing in the, where the Toronto uh, Raptors played, or we were playing down in Orlando magic. It was unbelievable. Like you're playing in all these like unbelievable NBA stadiums. And, and so I had finished up the season and there was a lot of chatter about the New York jets signing me because Hofstra is right across the street from the Coliseum. And that's where the New York jets have the training camp. Okay. Well, our season at the time, butted up to training camp. So they were kind of starting training camp and had OTAs. Well, I'm over across the street ripping up arena ball. And so there was a big deal in, the, in all the papers all the time about how the Jets need to sign or whatever. And uh, nothing came to fruition. And so I actually flew home. It's kind of it's crazy because it's kind of like the Iowa thing. But I flew home, got home at like 10 o'clock at night. And then the next morning, uh, I got a call like eight o'clock in the morning. Like there's a flight for you at 1030 back to New York to LaGuardia. And I'm like, for what? And they were like, well, this is such and such from the New York Jets. We want to work you out today. Oh my gosh. I'm in Columbus. Like there's no way. And they were like, yeah, 1030. So (laughs) I got, went back to the airport, got on the plane. I took a backpack, a pair of shoes and changed clothes. And I showed up in New York and worked out with the team and there did they didn't have anybody there, no quarterbacks to throw. Well, they were walking off the field from a practice. And all of a sudden, Chad Pennington, who I knew, like, I didn't know, but I knew of Chad Pennington. You know, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks, especially coming out of Marshall. And he was big time at the time for sure. And so Chad was like, well, I'll throw with all the guys. And there was like eight of us wideouts. And he threw to every single week. It was, oh, I couldn't believe it. Like he wow. literally threw to every single one of us. And after the workout, Chad goes over to Herm Edwards and management and says, well, I want the furry kid. And so they came over to me and was like, hey, Chad wants you in camp today. I'm like all right, I guess I'm in camp. So I signed with the jets that day and I ended up going into training camp and I went out and I had like the best four days of my entire life ever of playing football. It was so crazy. And, uh, my name just didn't move at all on the depth chart. Really? So, and I've been there, I've been there. I did it with the Indianapolis Colts. Like I've already seen this and I've already tried out for a couple other teams throughout the whole process and didn't make it and whatnot. So for some reason, I don't know what it was, but on the sixth day, I just was at peace. Like this is, I'm not wasting my time. Like this, I'm going to have no chance. I'm not going to just stay around here because they wanted me to come here because I'm across the street. So I woke up on the seventh day again, like you mentioned earlier, the seventh day, somehow that's popular, but I woke up on the seventh day and I walked out to uh, Herm Edwards and I just said, I'm at peace with this. And I prayed about this and, and no disrespect, but like, I don't want to waste your time and, and I'm just going to go home. And, uh, he said, all right, great. You know, good luck to you.
0: Steph, what's most important to you when it comes to building a new home?
2: Okay.
1: I want a builder who's an expert in what they do, is going to be honest with me, and cares about even the smallest of details. Well,
0: thankfully, we know just the builder.
1: You know it. It's Jay and Connie Luby with Luby Companies.
0: Friends, don't just take our word for it. Go check out their website at lubycompanies.com. That's L-U-E-B-B-E-companies.com.
1: Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome.
2: So I actually ended up leaving and I went home And the craziest thing in the world happened when I was driving home, this woman named Corinne Blackstone and I, who had not talked in like a year or so, I had a voicemail from her and it was kind of like a joke. Her and her friend were kind of playing a joke or whatnot. And I called her back and I said, where are you at? And she said, she's in Columbus. And I said, well, I'm going to be back in Columbus. I just, I just quit. You know, you probably think a lot of me, but I just quit the New York Jets and we ran into each other that weekend. And the first time I saw her, she left and went home. I turned around to my buddy and I said, that's that's the woman I'm going to marry. Wow. And, uh, so we got engaged about a month later. And we it's crazy. It's crazy. And we've known each other since second grade, but not like that. Uh-huh. Like we never, nothing. And it was like the most beautiful woman, person, everything that I've ever seen in my entire life. So she was at my apartment just after we got engaged in October. And she said, all right, you're leaving here in January. You're going back to Arena good luck in your last season in arena. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. What are you talking about last season in arena? She is like, you're 25 years old. We can't live in New York for four months and back here. Like we got to move on. And this would be a great question for her. You guys need to interview her. Cause she's really, people don't realize like I lived it, but my wife like groomed it, if that makes sense. Yes. Like if my wife wasn't around, like we're not here. Like you don't move 18 times with a wife and she's like, yeah, let's roll whatever you want to do, you know? And so true. Um, so I said, what do you want me to do? She said, well, what are you in arena? I said, I'm the best. I said, I told her, I said, I'm the best. She kind of laughed. And I'm like, what are you, what are you laughing at? <laughs> she said, well, if you really want to be the best, that's called the national football league, not the arena football league.
1: Ooh, oh, I like her.
2: And she's yes. like, so if you're really trying to play football, then you need to try to play in the national football league because we're not doing arena football. League. We're not going you just can't do that. You need to either move on with your life or go try to make it. And, you know, sometimes in life, Along that lonely road, like we had talked about earlier, it's easy to become comfortable. And when things are comfortable and they're successful because it's a comfortable situation, that might not be what God has in store for you. And so sometimes someone needs to come along and be like, hold on time out. You're just comfortable. You're not the best. You're just comfortable. And you like being comfortable. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And so we made a pact that night. I said, well, when do you want to get married? And you guys know my wife, she's a Blackstone. So I said, <laughs> when's training camp start for NFL? And she said, well, it's always at the end of July. And she knows that. Like I, like she knows that. And I said, all right, well, what do you think? And she said, we're going to get married on July 5th. I've already looked it up. We're going to get married on July 5th. We'll go to our honeymoon for one week. And you come back, you go to training camp. And I said, hold on. I'm not even on a team right now. She said, no, that's what we're going to do. She said, you're going to go work your tail off and we'll let God take care of the rest.
1: Okay, Kevin. That is what you call a teammate in a marriage.
0: Well, after hearing that story, how much do you love his wife now?
1: Corin? Oh my gosh, I freaking love Corin. <laughs> she is awesome. And just holds her now husband accountable. And just what every God fearing person does. Like, what's God's best for you? If this isn't God's best, then why are you even doing it? Right. I mean, how awesome is that?
0: Okay, so here's what's interesting. If Mike had not quit the Jets training camp that weekend, does he meet his future wife, Corn?
1: Oh.
0: Because he said, the weirdest thing happened. I'm on my way home from training camp. I get this call out of the blue. It was kind of a joke. And then he met her that weekend.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: So if he had not quit the chess camp and didn't have a piece about it, would he have met Corn? That's good. All right. Let's continue the conversation right here with Coach Mike Furry.
2: So I left in January. And like, again, what you do, I have a goal, right? But people don't realize to achieve that goal, you set the goal. And you keep reminding yourself of that goal. But at the same time, you have to absolutely just work and forget that goal where your feet are that day. Like you got to go work your tail off. And it's that goal will happen because of what you're putting in. Right. You have to have the goal. I get that. But that result doesn't exist until it becomes fruition. And the only way that happens is by absolutely focusing every day, locking in every day. And whatever happens, it happens. Like there's no, you don't, you're not looking for the result. It just, all of a sudden it's going to occur. Right. Like that's how, that's how life works. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of where it gets kind of interesting and fun, but.
0: Now it gets interesting. (laughs) I was going to say this whole time has been interesting.
2: (laughs) This is where it gets pretty cool in my regard, because, you know, here I'm just a guy that's 25 years old. That's never played in national football league, except for some training camps and like, this isn't supposed to happen. And so I went back to arena and by the grace of God in week 13, I was leading every single category on the offense and the defensive side of the ball and defense. Was, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was crazy. And so what happens is you get a thousand dollars for every category that you lead. And then you get like a $2,500 check for MVP or player of the year and all that kind of stuff. So okay. my wife has added this up. It was going to be about between 15 and $20,000 <sighs> check that we were going to get in three weeks after, you know, cause it's a 16 week season and we're in week 13 and in week 13, we're getting ready to play. And my buddy, the guy that called me when I was standing on the house, he called me and said, Hey, I called Kurt Warner. And I was like, for what? He was like, you know, Ricky Prohl's not coming back to the St. Louis Rams. And I called Kurt and I told Kurt, I said, listen, they need to sign you. Like they need to sign you. And I have never met Kurt before. I just knew of Kurt because he just won a Super Bowl and all those kind of things. But Kurt actually told him NBC just bought out. And I'm coming this weekend to commentate your game in New York. So he's going to come watch you play this weekend. And uh, <laughs> it is what it is. It just we balled out. And after the game, I was standing in in Rory's office with Kurt, and Rory got a phone call, and it was uh, St. Louis Rams, and they had offered me a contract that day to be there the next day for uh, summer workouts, ROTAs. It was a week before the draft, so it was the, you know middle of April. So I told Kurt, I asked Kurt, is there any way I could wait three weeks? Because I'm going to get a check because we, we just got married. Like, or we're getting, we're we're getting married it's July 5th. We don't have any money. This is going to be, I'm, I'm going to be having a nice honeymoon. <laughs> and Kurt's like, that's not how it works, man. Like they want you and they want you out there tomorrow. So I followed Kurt out to, he flew and I drove and I followed him out to St. Louis And when I pulled into Rams Park the next morning at like eight or nine o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call from a a guy named Charles Wong, who's a phenomenal guy. He owns the New York Dragons.
0: Okay.
2: Charles calls me and I was like, where where are you at? And I said, well, I'm in, I'm in St. Louis. He said, you can't be in St. Louis. I said, well, the Rams, they offered me a contract. He said, well, how much are they giving you? I said, they're not giving me anything. They're giving me an opportunity. And he said, well, I gave you 15 grand to sign with me before the season and your contract here. You can't leave. And I said, Well, I got to leave. And so he said, Why don't the Rams pay me 15 grand? I was like, The Rams ain't paying me anything. I got (laughs) to give you money. And uh, so basically, Charles, the businessman that he is, he said, All right, let's do this. He said, The reason why I'm saying this is because you were the face of arena football. Right. Playoffs are getting ready to come up here in three weeks from now. NBC has already shot every commercial with you on it, and you're not even playing. You left. And so they created a rule that you weren't allowed to leave the arena no more until the season was over. And then the agreement between Charles and I was, okay, if, if I made it, I'll pay you back to 15 grand. If I didn't make it, then I'm, I'll come back and play for you. And that was the agreement. Crazy. And then a week later, the Rams drafted two receivers in the second and third <laughs> round or something like oh, that. Oh, no. Kevin Curtis and Sean McDonald, which are phenomenal players. They have Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holtz. I'm sitting here like, well, I'm going back to the arena. But – again, to your point, just because adversity sets in, like you don't stop, like you don't let it affect you. You actually, if you can, because you haven't been working harder, you really press it as hard as you can. And I guess, I, I don't know if that's just something that's been instilled in me or it's something that I've been born with or whatever. But to this day, even my, my staff hates to go down to the weight room with me and work out because like, we going at it. Like, we, like, we just did a 26 mile Spartan race here last summer. Like, Hey, you got to go. Like we're, we're rolling. We're training. What? And it's always just kind of been like that, you know, and I'll never forget this. My wife would just say, hey, just go to work and let God take care of the rest.
0: Friends, we just want to take a moment here to say thank you to all you loyal listeners. (laughs)
1: just found out that Tell Us A Good Story is now in the top 1.5% of all podcasts worldwide. And that is because of you guys sharing with your family and friends on social media and giving us positive reviews on all the podcast platforms. And
0: if your friends ask, just tell them they can get our entire catalog of episodes at com or wherever they like to get their podcasts.
1: Thank you guys so much for listening to Tell Us A Good Story.
2: And so... Through the rest of April, May, and into June, I just went to work. My wife, uh, my fiance at the time, we, we would just sit on FaceTime or whatever it is with like these little cars. And she would just have the whole play. My wife would have the whole play drawn up and we would just study. Like she would show me the play and then I would name the play and I would just learn all the positions. And, and it's a key value for anybody trying to make it. Like there's only five or six whiteouts in a room. So you need to learn every position. Some of them just learn one and you don't last. And she just taught me the playbook and, and I went and executed and worked my tail off every day. And then we'd study again at night and then I'd meet her at places and we'd study and, and I just worked my tail off and, uh, we get married July 5th and the training camp's the end of July and we go on our honeymoon and come back from the honeymoon. And I go into training camp and we're ready to go. And like day three, I thought I blew my ankle out. <gasps> oh no. I was out for like two and a half weeks. First time in my entire life. I had ever missed a practice, like ever like ever in my entire life. I've never missed a practice ever because I always just keep going no matter what. And uh, I just couldn't walk for two and a half weeks and got to the last preseason game. And I finally got a chance to go in and I just caught a ball and that's kind of it, you know, like you're done. Like you you had no camp and we had three days off. And uh, I'm sure you might've seen this story because I know a lot of people have written the story, but I went into Rams park on the third day. And when you walk into Rams park, it's funny because there was like 20 lockers here in a little 20 foot by 20 foot area on each side. That was like for the rookies, you know, like undrafted rookie guys. And that's where I was at. And then it opens up to like this, you know, the, obviously an NFL locker room and all those kind of things. And so I walk in and I just kind of see my locker and my locker is completely empty. And I was just like, gosh darn it, you know? Like, I get it. Like, I didn't practice for two and a half weeks of training camp. You drafted two guys, you got two Hall of Famers on this team. And uh, there was another young man named like Dane Looker, who was a, a great white I had a great career. So it's deep. It's the NFL. Like, it's deep. Like, you got to play, you know? Right. So I walked into the kind of the big part. And I was going to go tell the equipment manager, and you know, I appreciate everything and helping me and all that good stuff. And he met me halfway. and he said, uh, "How you doing?" I said, oh, "Obviously, I'm not doing too good." He said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, my locker's empty." He said, "Yeah, we moved it down next to Tory Holt." <laughs> 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 so, so, what a moment! And uh, this wasn't until a couple of years later when I really had the courage, I guess, to talk to Mike Marts. It was in year two, and I just asked him. I said, "You know how like." There's no way I'm here except for you. And he said, you know what? He said, and this stuck with me my whole entire life. And to this day, he said, you know what? Don't ever forget one thing. He said, presentation is everything. And your first impression always helps someone make a decision fast. He said, the way that you practiced on the day you got here from the New York Dragons up until we left for summer, that's when you made the team. It wasn't the two and a half weeks that you sat out. It was by the way you worked and you studied and all those things that you did when you weren't making a team, you were just practicing. But the OTAs, when you just came in here and you were confident and you learned all the positions and you were reliable and you could catch and all those things, like, that's what I saw. He's like, that's why I wanted you here. And don't worry, it's going to get really good here. If you, I don't know if you have enough time. No, we are good we're on totally time. Good. We're good. I got a Mike March story in Detroit because it's funny, But but anyways, long story short, He said, that's when you made the team. And so we ended up playing the first year sporadically. I think I caught like 24 balls. And then year two, our draft kids got hurt during the season. Okay. And that's how I got a chance to play. And we were 12 and four and I thought I was going to the Super Bowl. And uh, it was awesome. But only the beginning. (laughs) It's only the beginning.
0: All right, Steph, what an amazing story he just shared that might be my favorite story of this entire conversation because yeah. of what an underdog he was. And I'm blown away that, I mean, years later, Steph, we're almost 20 years later, and he still gets emotional talking about that moment when he actually made his first NFL team.
1: Well, what was cool is it just shows someone's always watching. Yes. You don't think they're watching. You're working hard. You think your chance is over but someone's always been watching you. So never give up. No matter who's watching or not watching, keep working.
0: And he rattled off these names, right? Like Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt. Steph, these are future Hall of Fame type guys. Torrey Holt's on the NFL All Decades team. Isaac Bruce's number's been retired by the Rams. Mike Martz was considered an offensive genius. That was his head coach. Mm -hmm. So he's... And then they drafted two guys ahead of him. So the odds are so stacked against Mike to even make the team.
1: He's surrounded by greatness. He
0: mm-hmm. really is. And he still, against all odds, was able to make this team.
1: He's persevering and making his dream come true. And still
0: to this day, that moment sticks with him for his entire life.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome.
0: All right. Let's continue the conversation right here with Coach Mike Furry. So Mike played a combined eight years in the NFL mm-hmm. okay, with the St. Louis Rams, Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, and then the team known as Washington Commanders. During the 2006 season with the Lions, he led the NFC division with 98 catches, <gasps> which was second in the NFL. So, so many questions I could ask you about that, but what's the Mike Martz story you just referenced?
2: Yeah. You know that a lot of people, uh, they, even like a lot of my players don't know this, but in year three in St. Louis, we were in the off season and Mike called me and Mike March called me and said, Hey, or I'm sorry, I was in the equipment room okay. uh, in the locker room, and Mike walks by and he tells the equipment manager, this is what he does. He tells the equipment manager. He said, let me borrow your office for a minute. Go ahead and get out. He's like, Mike, come on in. And I was like, Oh Lord, this isn't good. So we go in his office and he sits down in the equipment manager chair. And I sit down in the guest chair and Mike shuts the door and he said, I got up, got an idea. I said, well, what's your idea? He said, why don't you play safety? I said, what do you mean play safety? He said, why don't you play both ways? And I said, okay, cool. I'm whatever you want. He's like, well, you know, last year we couldn't really dress you a lot because we were obviously full at wide out, but we lost some safeties. And I know you played safety in, or DB and arena ball. So if you could do both, because I know you learn them both, then we could dress you and not have to dress an extra guy at each one of those positions. Oh, and right. Had one for two. He's like, so why don't you this offseason, season? Why don't you go over in the OTAs coming up here this May? Why don't you go and just play safety? Because I know you already know everything on the on the White House spot. So I went home and I told my wife. My wife was like, well, we're packing up. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, when someone, th- my dad always would tell people, why don't you change <laughs> positions? Well, that means you're not going to be on the team anymore. So he's like, he just he he really <laughs> likes you. He loves you, and he's just trying to break it the right way. And so. This is a pretty cool deal that, uh, again, just looking back at the 98 catches Yeah. and year three, it was the last day of OTAs. And Mike March called me in his office and said, listen, you're 185 pounds. Why don't you put some weight on? Because you actually could start at safety for us. And I was like, all right, I'm in. So I went home and my wife made chicken and steak for lunch and dinner every night for basically a month and a half for six weeks. I had two PB and J's and a milkshake every night before I went to bed. And I showed up to training camp, at 205 pounds, I gained 20 pounds in about six weeks. And uh, anyway, so then I led the Rams and interceptions and all that kind of stuff in 2005, but I intercepted a ball against the new Orleans saints and the head coach in it. I took it back and won the game. And uh, they fired the head coach at new Orleans, like on Monday. Oh no. Well, three weeks later at the end of the season, they fire Mike Martz. So we're out. And, uh, they hired a new head coach and they hired the D coordinator. That was the head coach from the New Orleans saints that got fired after my interception. And so my wife yelled to me one morning, I was like, Michael. And I'm like, what? she's like, do you know you got cut? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you know, you got released. The Rams let you go. And I was like, no, she's like, well, it's in the paper she was like, did you talk to your agent? And I was like, no. So I called him and he was like, I don't, nobody told me anything. Wow. And it was in the St. Louis dispatch. And so we sold our house in like four days and everything in it. And we boxed our stuff up that we had left and we drove home. We went to Barry's house and I was sitting at the high school basketball tournament. I phone rang and I answered the phone and he's like, Mikey, I'm like coach March. He said, yeah. He said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got off the phone with one of our coaches from Buffalo. They wanted me to come out and try out and play safety. He's like, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, I just had five interceptions. I dropped three of them. I could have been a pro bowl playing safety. What do I got to try out? To? And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's a good point. He's like, well, I got a better idea. I'm like, well, what is that? He said, why don't you come play wide receiver here in Detroit? I said, coach, I'm 210 pounds. He said, yeah, but you put on 20 in six weeks. You could take off 25 in three months. He's like, I want you to come up here and teach all these guys the offense and play slot receiver. And I said, well, I thought you weren't getting the job. He said, well, I got the job. They gave him control of the roster of the offensive side of the ball, which is really important because obviously he makes the decisions then. Then I was in his contract. And so, so I drove up to Detroit the next day, started camp, started losing 25 pounds and got back down to 185 and played slot receiver. And so we go into the season 2006 and I didn't start the first game. I was the th- I was the slot receiver and we went and played against the defending Super Bowl team, Seattle Seahawks, and like we, we lost like 6 to nothing or something like that. And Mike was really frustrated with – because, again, it's got to be perfection. And Mike called me in his office on Monday or Tuesday and said, hey, forget all that teaching these guys anything what to do. He's like, you're starting. He said, I don't want you teaching them anything what to do because you have to lock in and focus in on what you're doing now. You're starting. And uh, it was really cool because at the time there was an offensive assistant That was in there that I had become really close with. His name was Adam Gase. Oh, really? And Adam was an intern there. And so Adam and I just kind of really hit it off and we just went to work and probably like six weeks left to go in the season. I was with Adam at practice and Mike March came over to me and was like, how many catches do you have right now? And Adam was like, he's got 67 catches or something like that. Like he knew like exactly how many catches. And, uh, if you know, Mike, this is exactly how Mike March is. He just kind of looked at me and he kind of looked under his glasses. He had like his little bifolds on He just looked at me and he put his head down and looked out over top of his glasses and said, you'll have a hundred by the time we're done. And, uh, that was all, that was it. went to work. So I ended up having 86 catches going into the last week of the season. And so I got on a plane to fly to Dallas and I was with John Kitten and Dan Orlovsky. you know, all those guys, my buddies, we were playing cards on the plane and one of the admins from the Lions came and got me and took me to the back of the plane when they were trying to negotiate a contract. Really, I'll never forget this. When I got up, Kit grabbed me before I went back, and Kit was like, "Don't agree to anything. Like, don't agree to anything." And Orlovsky was like, "Our little brother. So we're trying to help him and groom him in his faith and and everything like that." And uh, but it was just cool because now everybody's kind of doing their own thing all over the place. But Kit was like, "Listen, you you go. You don't agree to anything, and you don't even think about it. Like tomorrow when you go, we go play. That's it." we go play. Just keep doing what you've been doing. Don't worry about nothing. And it was a two hour plane ride. And I was in the back of that plane for two hours. <laughs> the only time I sat in my seat was for takeoff and landing. It was awesome. <laughs> it was cool for me. Cause it was kind of like I, first time I ever was in that position of being wanted. Yes. And um, so we landed in Dallas. And uh, the only reason why I tell you this is because you'll remember this happening. We went to Dallas and we beat them. And I walked out of that game with 12 catches and ended up with 98 I had 12 for something. But do you remember when Tony Romo dropped the extra point in Seattle? Yes. Yeah. So we were the reasons why Dallas had to go to Seattle because we ended oh. up beating them in 16, which knocked them out of all the home field advantage and they had to go on the road okay. to play Seattle and Tony <laughs> dropped the extra point. But that's my career. Now I'm done because that was it.
0: <laughs> but Steph, the 98 catches that season set an NFL record for most receptions in a season after having zero the prior year because he started on defense for the Rams and then flipped to offense the following year. Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. That's
1: crazy. So
0: final fun fact here. Mike was twice nominated for the very prestigious NFL Walter Payton of the year award Mm. while with the Detroit Lions and Cleveland Browns. And Mike, I will inform you this morning when I was finishing up my research on you. There were 519 Mike Fury items for sale on eBay, including $130 for a signed Mike Fury Detroit Lions jersey. Love that. I did not bid on it, Steph, but it was awfully tempting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But even today, he's still, his memorabilia is a hot commodity. commodity.
2: No, it's not.
0: Well, Coach is very humble. But friends, for more information about Coach Furry, you can go to his Instagram page at Coach Furry, and we will put that link in our show notes and on our website, so you can click right on it.
1: Hey, Coach was right. Fantastic. Coach Blackstone was right.
0: This was even better than I was expecting, and we had a high yep. high bar as well. Yes,
1: we did. So, yep.
0: Coach, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Coach. Thank you,
2: guys. I, I really do. And, I, and you know our story, my wife and I's story, our family story is really just one family's journey to be able to impact people. All those things that we did is not because of us. It's because of what God wants us to do with it. I think that's the valuable key for everybody of why you go through these things. It's not for yourself. It's to help someone else.